Welcome to this special edition of The Third Wheel, our podcast series on all things ESG in Australia. I'm Tim Stutt, partner in HSF's head office advisory team and Australian lead for ESG. My co-host today is Mel Debenham, partner in our Perth office and expert on business critical environment planning, heritage and native title regulation. Hello, Mel. We're, we're back on a roll. Two episodes in one week. I know. This is fantastic. We're, we're doing a double. It's great to be back. Um, before we kick off, though, Tim, I realised last time we spoke, I didn't talk about some of the earlier episodes, some of the takeover episodes that we've had on the pod by our Employment, Industrial Relations and Safety team. Um, now, if you've missed those, I really encourage you to go back, particularly to episode 20, which is on board accountability and reporting on workplace misconduct. It's a real must listen, given the landmark anti-discrimination and human rights legislation amendment or respect at work bill, um, which very recently passed both houses of parliament and is now awaiting royal assent. There's um, lots of nuggets of gold in there. So go back and have a listen if you haven't had the opportunity already. Thanks, Mel. Good call out. We love a, a governance item, uh, me being yes. a governance nerd and all. <laughs> Turning to, the, to today's episode, it's been an exciting time for our team with the launch of HSF's latest report on unlocking ESG investment in Australia, which we talked a little bit about in our teaser episode last time. In the coming weeks and months, we're going to be devoting episodes to some of the key themes coming out of that report. By way of reminder, in the report, we explored some of the barriers to greater levels of ESG investment in Australia by surveying 100 business leaders on the size and shape of investment challenges and opportunities across M&A, CapEx and financial investment as well. The findings were then supplemented with some expert analysis from across industry. A huge thanks to all, including our listeners who might have completed the survey and helped with the baseline data We've included in that report some observations from some of our partners which specialise or who specialise in the ESG space and related areas, including Mel, of course, and our special guest today, Jackie Wooten, co-head of our Australian Corporate Crime and Investigations Practice. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, everyone. Hi, Tim. Hi, Mel. Good to be with you both. So wonderful you can join us. Um, Last episode, I mentioned that we were going to do some deeper dives into the report. Um, and today we start in the middle with a firm focus on the S in ESG. Um, and important because I think it emerged from our survey that issues in this space are really front and centre for business. 80% of respondents say they have reviewed or plan to review their ESG policies and operations with emissions and modern slavery, in particular, the issues most identified. So really, it's fantastic to have you, Jackie, here to help us unpack this finding. From your perspective, given the focus of your practice, was this really a surprise result? Look, not, not really, uh, Mel, uh, particularly if I think about the work that we've been doing and seeing our clients do in the modern slavery space. There's a real driver now with the reporting regime that exists in Australia around modern slavery for entities that are caught to be very proactive in how they're thinking about modern slavery risks uh, in, that touch upon their business. And as I'm sure many of our listeners will know, because there no doubt many of them are caught, companies in Australia that have over 100 million in revenue automatically need to be producing these reports and to do so annually. So 
With that annual reporting cycle in place, it's driving not just a one-off ad hoc review or some sort of standalone review of policies and operations, but a real expectation that companies are doing more and more each year. So I guess when we hear our survey respondents uh, say that they've done that sort of review, I think what I read is that they're not just acknowledging in the ESG space that that's sort of a part of what they need to do, but they're really saying that they're in a continual improvement cycle um, and really looking to find new and better ways of integrating how they're addressing risks like modern slavery and a whole range of other ESG factors into both their operations and, and their value chains more broadly. I, I think that um, you're not alone in not being surprised. Uh, I wasn't, um, and neither was Dr Cameron Kelly, so he's General Counsel for ARENA, um, and quoted in the report. Um, Cameron believes modern slavery is one of the most important high-profile aspects of ESG and is impacting business approach to investment. Um, we're seeing this play out in the mining sector in a number of ways. Um, be that the context of M&A activity and the sort of diligence being undertaken of offshore application operations, um, obviously supply chain analysis, Jackie, you touched on, um, to inform the sort of reporting that's required under legislation, but also sustainability reporting and other reporting and the benchmarks that we're seeing um, be set. Um, what's good practice is a bit different than today than it was a few years ago. Um, but also the drivers for development of mining operations in Australia, in particular types of battery metals, because of the risks, and they're not just modern slavery risks, but um, the, the current supply options do have a different profile in terms of environment, modern slavery and other things than um, what we're currently, than what we can achieve in Australia. Do you have similar observations for the energy um, sector or other sectors, Jackie? Yeah, I think, Mel, I think all of those sort of activities and areas of focus that you've called out, I think they do apply more broadly across lots of different sectors. And, and energy is a really interesting one because it's really at the coalface of trying to integrate how companies are dealing with a lots of different ESG factors. Mm -hmm. You know, they're at the coalface, and I think Karen Kelly's comments, you know, they're, in, they're really operating that clean energy sector and at the coalface of trying to drive the e-transition, the development and the shift towards clean energy and, and elevating, you know, how we tackle that part of the ESG challenge. But at the same time, um, those same companies are also having to really face and stare hard into some of those S challenges. So in the modern slavery area, um, you know, many of the raw materials that are relied upon uh, particularly for the energy transition, are throwing up real challenges around how do companies source ethically and source consistent with their modern slavery ob obligations? Uh, because I think we all know those raw materials do come from jurisdictions where those risks are risk are really heightened. So uh, absolutely, um, I, I think yeah, energy is a really good sector to call out that is really at the heart of trying to integrate the S into the, the ESG parts of things. And it's tricky, right, because um, 
you know, making investment decisions and balancing some of the S issues, modern slavery being one. But, you know, I think um, to my experience in Australia, and obviously we need to, um, we've got our own um, S considerations from a native title perspective, um, Aboriginal cultural heritage, but also um, just the impact of development within the communities who, who host natural resources, be that um, minerals or otherwise. Um, I think the S space um, is, you know, a lot of competing demands that need to be balanced out uh, to get good outcomes, and that's not easy. Yeah, agree 100%. Jackie and I hosted recently a session on the evolution of modern slavery reporting um, in the context of the current review of the Modern Slavery Act. At the session, we had Professor John McMillan AO, who is who is the uh, the person leading the review of the Modern Slavery Act on behalf of the government. But we also had uh, Vanessa Zimmerman from Pillar Two and some of our clients from a range of different sectors and and from a range of different sized businesses as well. The session um, was timely given the review that is going on, um, which closed uh, last month, November and will be completed by 31 March with a, a final report tabled in Parliament at that time. I think reflecting on that session, one of the things which really jumped out to me was the obvious engagement from some of the large corporates. The rise of sustainable procurement managers, I think, is one trend, but also there's some trends around more structured approaches to diligence in relation to human rights and modern slavery. And there was also um, some really heartening sharing of information across businesses and sectors, both in the session that we facilitated, but through a number of different working groups um, and, and different industry bodies as well. Jackie, I know that we had some really good engagement in the session um, around, in particular, assessing effectiveness of modern slavery actions. I wondered if you could share some observations on that aspect. Yeah, thanks, Tim. It was, um, I, I agree, it was a great session and one where it really proved the value of um, experts and people who are working in these areas getting together in a room and, and sharing some of their experiences and challenges. I, I think the discussion around effectiveness in, in the modern slavery context is really interesting because, you know, it's not the only area where companies are really forcing themselves to look critically at what they're doing and testing whether all the effort is, is really worthwhile. But it's an area in the modern slavery space that gets a lot of attention because it is something that you need to expressly report on in the annual report. So, it, it's not just enough um, to be describing what you're doing, but you need to be describing how you go about assessing whether those actions are effective. Um, and it's really, I think, pointing to a, a key challenge that companies have going forward. It's not going to be enough just to be able to answer questions about what you need to change or what you need to uplift or improve. But at the end of the day, uh, it's going to be really important externally, but also internally to, to key stakeholders to be able to answer a question of, is all this effort that we're going to to be talking about modern slavery risk, understanding this area of risk, is it actually driving positive change? Is it actually making a difference with people on the ground? And I, I think that's a really good question to ask, not only 
around modern slavery, but a lot of those other S factors, Mel, that you were mentioning earlier, mm -hmm. it's a really good litmus test for, you know, we, we talk about um, trying to drive change, but but is all this effort actually doing that? So one of my key takeouts from the session, team that we had uh, with clients uh, and with Professor McMillan and, and Vanessa Zimmerman was really about how much they grappled with this uh, aspect of the reporting requirement, but how much they also really valued engaging with each other around it. Uh, you know, you, you can't, I think everyone agreed, you can't assess what's effective, you can't assess whether what you're doing is good or whether it's leading or to benchmark yourself unless you're able to understand what others are doing in that space and you can be, uh, you know, understanding uh, and learning from those, those good insights that others have. So I know our clients really valued having that sort of feedback mechanism, that ability to discuss externally. Uh, and there seems to be a lot of appetite uh, for doing that and to be building that into part of these sorts of reviews that happen on an ongoing basis. So that was certainly an area I know in our session, Tim, was one where there was lots of good discussion and I think a real appetite to continue a conversation. This issue around assessing effectiveness reminds me of one of the, the broader themes which came out of the Unlocking ESG Investment in Australia report, which was really around how do you measure the impacts of some of these areas. So there was a real tension and, and one of the barriers which was identified by a number of the respondents to the survey was really around tenure of investment and, and that ability to match up short-term outflows in making the investment versus some of the longer term benefits which were expected to be realized by those investments and in, in 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 that vein um some of them are hard to quantify and some of them it is difficult to understand is it effective is it having an impact what is that impact and to the discussion we were having just a little bit earlier how do you actually square the ledger with some of the competing aspects as well. Yeah, and a, a question, I mean, what is effective, right? Um, mm -hmm. What sort of impact is enough? Um, is the fact of looking, you know, investigating, um, trying to understand what's happening in our supply chain at this point in time enough and, and what sort of effectiveness um, other stakeholders will expect moving forward it's it's quite fluid absolutely i, I sort of think about it from a um there's a japanese word kaizen which is continuous <laughs> improvement it's a very sort of toyota type um thing thing but um you know I, I, you think of it that way and it's small incremental changes but i think one of the things um which a number of our clients are sort of grappling with too is some of the more um, transformational changes as well, and you know taking from taking it from small incremental improvements to um, the more substantial kind of changes in practices where they can have an, an outsized impact. On that note. Jackie, one last question from me around change, because obviously the modern slavery legislation um, is being looked at at the moment. Um, have you got any thoughts on what kind of change we might expect 
Um, or if not, what would be on your wish list for change to the existing legislative suite? Oh, maybe I'll... Let, let me start with your first question, Mel. I, I think what do we expect at the moment? I think what we're hearing and certainly what we've heard from clients is that we've already seen a lot of change just with the regime being brought in. And we're at a stage where I think it's that year-on-year year small change, small changes, small improvements over time. Mm. Now, I know a lot of stakeholders will find that level of change too slow, uh, but I think there is a recognition that this is an area where, like most of the ESG challenges, there's no silver line. There's no just sort of quick fix overnight and we're, we're done and dusted. So I think with that in mind, I'm not expecting the review will lead to radical change. I think it will be recognising there's been huge amounts of change already. I think we can see sort of continual steps to try and make that regime more, I'm going to use the word effective, but more just more workable and, uh, and, and one where we just see continual improvement. Look, I think in three years' time, if um, we're not starting to see more change, I think absolutely at that point, perhaps the next review cycle, um, there'll be a greater drive for, for change. But at the moment, I think it's probably small, steady steps forward. Um, but I think in saying that, that's, you know, we shouldn't underestimate the, the extent of change that's already happened. You know, we weren't talking about modern slavery in the same way five years ago. We really weren't. Um, we've seen a huge number of entities in Australia just totally now develop up a much deeper understanding of their supply chains and, and just how their operations affect this one area. And that's just one area in the ESG space. So, you know, I guess that's that's probably my prediction of where things will sit. Tim, I don't know if you see it any differently at your end, but um, yeah, I think a, a continual area of change, but but small changes each year. The only thing I'd add to that, Jackie, and it picks up your earlier point around what does good look like. I do think there will be a focus on more best practice sharing and information sharing and and probably, um, you know, a, a lot of that work has been done uh, by uh, Australian Border Force up till now, but I think that will continue on and possibly expand a little bit as well, because I think there is a want for um, some companies to go deeper and do more. And then I think there's also a want for some companies which are still sort of early on in the process and still grappling with the um, with the regime to learn from others as well. And I think the answer to both of those questions sort of resides in more practice sharing, more guidance. Yeah, I think that'll be really well received. Well, thank you, Jackie and Tim, for those thoughts. Um, lots of food for thought for our clients um, in what the legislation in this space might look like. And I'm sure um, we'll have you back, Jackie, once the review is complete. We've got a better idea of just how much change um, there, there will be to the Modern Slavery Act. Now, we usually close out each episode with an interesting fact from the world of ESG. And today I wanted to call out COP15. Now, you might be thinking that I've got my dates and numbers in a muddle. Haven't we just finished COP27? Um, but no, I'm referring to the upcoming UN Convention on Biological Diversity. Um, and the aim of COP 
This COP is to create a global plan for protecting and restoring nature by 2030. Um, it's not a fun fact. I just wanted to bring um, COP15 to your attention because it seems to be um, a relatively unknown convention, but hugely important, um, particularly in the context of a changing climate. So the 15th conference starts on the 9th of December um, and it's in Montreal, Canada this year. Um, we will be watching the outcomes closely um, and no doubt there will be um, some blog posts or podcasts in the future. Um, but take a look at what's happening in COP15 in December. I'd also encourage you to um, spend a couple of moments perusing the report on unlocking investment in ESG. You'll find it on our website. Um, and there's a very handy summary of the locks and keys at each um, at the end of each chapter, the things that we think might be important to um, progressing investment in this space. But that's all we've got for this episode. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us next time. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.